Well, I hope you had a great Christmas. And uh, I must confess, when it comes to Christmas and gifts and all, I have a, a general dislike of Christmas lists. You know, uh, you know the idea, like, you get a, a list of gifts from a family member and it's like, I don't know. It's, and we do that in our family and if we have family members here, I, I love your lists. Uh, I just want to say I, I love you. <laughs> and, uh, but sometimes it can become like almost like a to-do list, like a shopping list. And maybe there's a better way. It's so easy, right? It's like you get the list and you're one click away on Amazon. Next thing you know, two days later, it shows up, done. And there's something to be said for done, right? I mean, that's... But maybe, maybe there's a better way I'm just saying, just suggesting maybe there is when it comes to gift giving. um, Maybe a scenario where you really have insight into the world of the person that you're going to get a gift for. And um, maybe it's something drawn from a common experience that you've shared with them. You identify something that may be a surprise to them. That would be a meaningful addition to their life. At least you think, you hope, it would be a meaningful addition. Sometimes those things don't work out so well, we get that. But you're kind of, you know, you're kind of like being creative and trying to do something that's a bit with more personal touch instead of just uh, going off of a list. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's resonating with two of you. That's awesome. That's great. No, I'm kidding. Um, Something that solicits a response like, how thoughtful, how would you ever have known I would love this? That's the response we're, we're going for. And your response when that happens, or if that would happen, would be, um, I'm so glad you like it, and then you tell the story. And maybe the story goes something like this, yeah, last summer when we were on the coast and we went to this little shop, I couldn't help but notice how intrigued you were with this little music box. But you didn't buy it for yourself. And so um, later in that day, I don't know if you remember, but I snuck away for a few minutes and I thought that'd be a great Christmas gift for you. And they're blown away. And we've probably had those experiences before and they're very special because it's personal. It comes from a heart of affection and care and doing something a little bit innovative. A gift to someone you know, you care deeply for, and yes, that you love. Now in Genesis chapter 4, and on the music in prayer nights, we're, we're going to have a truncated word from the word, and we're going to pray a lot and sing some more. But we do want to get our direction from the word of God, always. And so in Genesis chapter 4, it just so happens as we're going back into Genesis next week for a couple weeks, and then we're going to do a couple different things into the month that we'll talk about next week, and then we're going into a study of the book of Romans in February, which I'm really jazzed about. But Genesis chapter 4, it's a tale of two gifts. In the kingdom, in Scripture, we talk about the word offering. And so it's a tale of two offerings. And Maybe all of you know this story of the offering of Cain and the offering of Abel. I'd like to read just a few verses from Genesis 4, starting at verse 1. 
Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. So get this, Cain's the big brother. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. It was a little man, but it was a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain, big brother, brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, different offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel in his offering, but on Cain, in his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. The word of the Lord. Now what follows here is anger consumes Cain. To the point where he kills his little brother, Abel. And God confronts Cain, saying, where is your brother? And then Cain has this sarcastic response to God. It's like a rhetorical question, but very sarcastic. Am I my brother's keeper? The whole idea of being a brother's keeper comes from this story, by the way. Am I supposed to have concern for my neighbor, for my brother, for my sister? By the way, it's good we pray for one another because it shows we, do, we are brothers and sisters keepers. Anyway, I digress. There's consequences. Cain is cursed. He will work the fields but not bear crops. He will be a, quote, restless wanderer on the earth. Response from Cain is more than he can bear. He actually says that exact wording. He's going to be driven from his land, from his parents, his family. He's going to be removed from God's presence, which is a thing. When you go to Psalm chapter 51, and you look at the narrative of David's lament over his sin and his repentance, one of the things that he is so lamenting is the possibility that he would be removed from God's presence. And so we see here that that is one of the things that is of concern to Cain. Now Cain has two primary issues in the story. The first is, issue is the offering that he presented to God that wasn't acceptable. The second is his anger management issue. We're going to focus on the first of the two tonight. Because it really speaks, I feel like, not only to us tonight, but maybe setting the tone for 2020. So let's compare these two offerings, Abel's. By the way, if you get the two brothers mixed up, just remember Abel starts with A. He brought the A-plus offering. Okay, there you go. Sometimes I get the guys mixed up. So anyway. He brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of the flock. Now, the fat portion, that's, that's an important piece of the puzzle, so to speak, because that's like the prime part of the lamb is the fat portion. I don't know why, but that, that's just the prime meat, if you will. It's the flamingon 
of the sheep, okay? And it was the firstborn, which is significant in that culture. There wasn't necessarily the promise of a second, third, fourth, fifth born. It could have been all that he had. And so he brings the firstborn and the best of the firstborn, and he offers it to God. Cain comparatively brings a fruit basket. He works the fields, he gathers some fruit, it says, and he offers that. It's a lack of quality, it's a lack of care, ultimately a lack of love. New Testament writers on a couple places write about this. It's such a significant story throughout the culture for the people of God. I don't know about you, unless you're a vegetarian, but if you offer me, if you go to dinner at a nice restaurant, and you offer me the entree of a filet mignon, maybe with some sautéed mushrooms and some butter. I'm not gonna, now you're really hungry probably. But a filet mignon or a bowl of fruit. That's kind of what we're talking about here. I don't know about you, but I'm going for the filet. But what can we learn that defines an offering to God? We learn something about what pleases God. What is an offering? Well, we receive an offering. We give offerings financially, but it's much more than financial giving. So when you hear the word offering in the context of the Christian life, it has a broad application, not just financial giving, although that's included under that umbrella. It's like worship is more than singing, our offering is more than giving financially. In fact, worship and the offering are closely linked to one another. We worship God with our offerings to Him. Our singing, our prayers, our giving of our resources that God has entrusted to us, how we serve in the church, whether it's with our kids or musically or on the First Impressions team or maybe you serve on the Global Impact Board. There's different areas of serving in the ministry and all of that is an offering to God. How I prepare, how our teaching team prepares. Is it haphazardly put together? Is it rushed? Is it not meditated over? Not bathed over in prayer? Is it, is it well crafted? Do we do our best? Do we bring our best offering to the Lord? Because actually when I stand and I speak in front of you, my biggest concern is that it's an offering to God. That I brought my best, whatever that is. My best, our best. Offerings that are well prepared, that there's an investment of time given with passion and love and that it's costly. David, King David in 2 Samuel chapter 24, there's an amazing line in a story that I'm not going to go into the depths of how he got to the place of, of wanting to offer a sacrifice to God. It's a great story, but another time. But he comes to this place and he must offer to God a sacrifice, an offering. And there's a priest by the name of Arana. And Arana does, a, does something that seems very natural because here's the king 
of Israel in his presence. And so what he wants to do is, is just gift the threshing floor where the, the sacrifice will take place to the king. It's like, and what happens is kind of like if you've ever gone to lunch with someone and you kind of haggle over who's going to pay the ticket, you know, and you kind of do the tug of war for a little bit. And, and you know, it's kind of like that. They go back and forth. And the king says, no, I, I you know, insist on paying for it. Uh, for the threshing floor, and the priest says, no, I insist. And then they go back and forth. And finally, King David lands at this profound statement. I will not sacrifice offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Our worship, our offering should cost us something. How easy it is to complain about the cost, how we use our resources of time, of talent, of finances. We can find ourselves in a place of maybe not complaining, but apathetic or resenting that we have to serve again or whatever it might be. Instead of understanding that God has done so much for us, think about what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. And the least we can do is offer to him an offering that is a bit costly at times to us. Jude 11. And Jude is a little book of the Bible, one chapter long, right before the Revelation into the New Testament. In the 11th verse of Jude, there's a description of the way of Cain. And it says the way of Cain rushing to profit. Now this isn't included in Genesis 4. We don't really understand why. We don't get the backstory, but here evidently what's been revealed to Jude as he is writing this is that there was a rush in the offering that Cain put together and it led him down a path of destruction. So how we, how we consider our offerings to God it's so very important because what can happen is once where we started with offering to God our worship out of a place of joy and enthusiasm and then it becomes less and less to the point where it's apathetic and then it gets to the place of resentment. Oh, I have to do this again? And then it can go from there into a real dangerous zone, a dangerous place where we can actually just walk away from God. I've seen it through the years, unfortunately, in the church. And so it's kind of like a, a check for us. And how are we doing with our offerings to God? We have the opportunity to learn lest we can fall into the same trap. In 2020, starting tonight, let us vow to offer to God our best offerings in worship and service which are biblically the one and the same but it's impossible to do that just cognitively it's impossible to do what we're talking about to give the lord our best day in day out just if we flip a switch in our thinking it has to come from a heart of affection 
and love to God. You see, our love for God is the wellspring that our service flows out of, joyful service flows out of. And when that heart is, is, has drawn, if it has become dry and the wellspring is not a wellspring any longer, but it's just an empty well, then we have nothing to give that is of worth. This happened to the church at Ephesus, which was doing many good things for God. But in Revelation chapter 2, one of the seven letters that were written to the churches, one goes to Ephesus, the first one right out of the gate. And Jesus, this is in red ink. It's the red letters in Revelation. Jesus affirms all the good they're doing. You're, you're, you're working hard. You're doing many good things. But I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. As leaders at Anchor, we talk about the need for us to tell our team members why we do what we do. First impressions, why we host and greet the musicians, why we prepare and bring our best offering and why it's so wonderfully important to lead our congregation in worship, why we do what we do. But it's, and it starts there with, it's because we love Jesus. That's where it's got to start. It doesn't start with, well, I host because I want them to see a smiling face when they walk in. That's part of it. But the main, the underpinning of it all is because I love Jesus. Because he first loved me and he gave his life so I would live. He paid the penalty for my sin so I would be free from sin and shame. That's why I do what I do. That's why we do what we do. That's why we gather and want to offer this hope to others in our city. So as we begin a new year together, tonight above all is a call to return to first love. Remember those moments when you first came to Christ, when you were first overwhelmed by the revelation of the love of God for you. Yes, the world, but for you, Yannick. For you, Jeffrey. For you, Lauren. For you, Kristen. Where you knew that God loved you so much and He had a plan for your life and He was going to breathe new life into you. Oh, that we could go to that place not just with a historical reflection, but we could go and we could pray, Lord, take me to that place of first love again. How do we get there? Jesus tells us how to get there. First of all, we have to repent. We have to repent for what we've made our relationship with God. Repentance is not just asking forgiveness. Repentance is, yes, saying, Lord, forgive me, but also I want to, I repent, I want to go a 180 in my relationship with you starting tonight. And then the second part of the way back 
after you've come to a place we've come, and I'm talking to myself again, because I need this as much as anyone. I grew up a PK, which is a pastor's kid. I've been in this all my life. And there are times that I have come to the stark reality that I am as far away from first love as I could be. Lord, forgive me. And help me to set my, me on a path of passion and intimacy and affection for you. The second thing in here is to do the things you did at first. What did you do when you were a new convert? probably were pretty excited to learn more about Jesus so you'd read the scripture in a regular way. Dust wouldn't accumulate on your Bible or now your app would not have not been open for a long time. But you would be excited to go back and to learn more about Jesus. The one who rescued us, saved us. Probably pray more and, and want to just be with God. Be in his presence. Do the things that we've done at first. And then, I believe, the offerings will spring from a well of affection for God and there'll be joyful service to him. Joyful offerings, joyful singing, joyful handing out whatever. If, it's, uh, if we had bulletins and you were handing them out or just being here and serving in whatever way. But beyond that, just living your life before the Lord as a fragrant offering to him. If we do this, instead of our offerings looking like this to God, now, I put on there, yes, this is duct tape. Instead of our offerings looking like that to God, they will look like this. Beautifully wrapped, Offerings, gifts to God.